Good morning, church. I'm John Gwynn, one of the elders, and I'm excited to be speaking with you today uh, from Nehemiah chapter 8. But before I start, I just want to point out there's, there's cards in the seats in front of you that have little QR codes on them. Um, if you scan that with your phone, it's going to bring you um, actually to the sermon notes for this morning, but also uh, any announcements that we have for the week. So you can go ahead and take advantage of that if you want to grab one this morning. But this morning we are uh, discussing Nehemiah chapter 7. So before I get into that, I want to take a minute to kind of do a review of what happened in Nehemiah 7. In Nehemiah 7, chapter 7, the walls had just been finished. The doors had been set in place, the gates had been set in place, and really the work was complete and the people were starting to return to Jerusalem. Um, chapter 7 ends with the statement that the people settled in to their own towns. So, life was good. The people were at peace. The vision that God had given to, Je to Nehemiah was complete. But this wasn't where the story ends. The walls were really a sign for them in that time of security, a sense of security, a sense of safety for the people of Israel. The security that the physical wall offered to them wasn't enough, though. God's people wanted more, and in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, we're going to see God stirring in the hearts of the people. They wanted more and they were going to settle, they weren't going to settle for the security that just the walls themselves offered. So the, the big idea that I want to get across to you this morning is that, as I mentioned, the walls had been rebuilt. God's people could have put their trust in the false sense of security that the walls provided to them. Or they could trust in the God of the Bible. And my question for us today is, what are we placing our trust in? So let's take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a faithful God that we can truly trust in. I ask this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would minister through me Lord, that your word would be spoken, that our hearts would be touched, and that we would know you in a closer way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Nehemiah starts out with this verse. It said, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So that's how the chapter starts. You know, God was moving in the people here to not put their trust, as I mentioned, in the security of the walls, but to press into God's word in order to know him more. 
so that they could place their trust in him. Now, it's worth noting here that Ezra didn't call the people together to read God's word. The people told him to teach the law. God was actually working in their hearts, the hearts of the people, and giving them a desire to know God, to know the God of the Bible. So on the first day of the seventh month, it says in Nehemiah, chapter two and three of, of, of uh, or, or verse two and three of chapter eight. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. So that should give me plenty of time this morning. If you think about it, that's like six hours, really. <laughs> he read it from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened in, uh, intensely to the book of the law. So let's take a few minutes to look at their response to God's word. The word can seem overwhelming to us. Now, we don't know why the people were weeping. It doesn't say here why. It, it could be that reading the law was overwhelming as they realized their own inadequacies because we all know we cannot fulfill the law on our own. It says in Romans 8.3, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And secondly, their response was with hearts, uh, with heart understanding comes joy. So once they understood, their response was turned from weeping to joy. You know, I have an illustration here that I was, as I was preparing for this message, thinking of, of not understanding God's word. When I was probably 18 or 19, I can very distinctly remember uh, sitting in the bedroom of my apartment. And for some reason, I, I felt like, you know what, I'm gonna, I was at a point in my life where I wasn't following God. I, I had been raised in the church and wasn't really following him. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to see if this Bible was really real. So I just randomly one day picked it up, and of course, you have to start at the beginning. So I opened up to Genesis 1, and I just started to read it. But my heart wasn't in the right place. It was more an attitude of, um, really, my heart was like a rock. <laughs> I can very distinctly remember that the words just seemed silly to me. They, it, it was a real true feeling of it bouncing off of a rock. And that was really because my heart wasn't in the right place. The Holy Spirit hadn't touched my heart and I was just not open to hearing God's word. And a lot of times that's what happens when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to soften our heart to his word. It can seem like 
the seed of his word is falling on the rocks. So it says in verse 11 that the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Now, I believe it doesn't actually say what changed their hearts from, from fear to joy, but I believe they show the people examples of God's grace from the Old Testament. You know, sometimes if you read the Old Testament, it can actually seem kind of harsh when you look at, at the things that happened to the people of Israel, God can seem like an angry God if you look on the surface. But if you really dig deeper, look at the overall perspective of the scriptures, you can so many times see God's grace. I just have a couple examples that I thought of as I was putting this together. Um, you know, an example is from Genesis 12:3, where it says, uh, he was, God was speaking to Abraham and he said to him, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this was the original covenant that God made with his people. So from the very beginning, God promised that he would bless his people. And then in Genesis 50, Joseph said to his brothers, now just a little background on this. This was after Joseph's brothers had taken him, thrown him into a pit, basically plotted to kill him, but did the nice thing and only sold him into slavery. And years later, after trial after trial after trial in Joseph's life, Blessing and blessing kept happening. A hard thing would happen, and then God would bless him. And another hard thing. And at this point, he was the second in command in Egypt from starting out being thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. So when his brothers came to see him, this was his response. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And then, who cannot think, when you think of God's grace in the Old Testament, not consider David, the life of David? You know, in spite of David's sin with Bathsheba, murder, terrible things that he had done, in spite of all that, this is what God said about him from Acts 13.22. God testifies concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So in spite of all the things that David did, God still called him a man after God's heart. The Bible is packed with examples of humans who sin and a God who forgives. Humans who run and a God who pursues. Humans who don't deserve grace, and a God who gives it anyways. So I really believe that that's what the priests and the leaders, the Levites, were showing the people when they were weeping. They were showing them God's grace. 
So next, from joy to celebration, it says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those uh, to who have nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's verse 10 of chapter 8. So we sent them away with joy. And lastly, from celebration, from that celebration to remembrance. It says in Nehemiah 14, uh, chapter 8, 14 and 15, it says this. They found, this is the people now, this was not the Levites, this was not the leaders, this is the people. The people were having, really having a revival of desiring to know the God of the Bible. It says, they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So what they're referring to here is the festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths. Now, this particular festival was meant to remember God's faithfulness when his people were wandering in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus, reminding his people that Israel dwelled in booths or in tents after the Lord brought them out of Egypt, and to remember the faithfulness that God showed his people during that time. So what they would literally do was they would set up outdoor dwellings. They'd either build it, the roofs were flat on, on homes, so they'd either go up and build it actually on the roof of their house, or they'd set it up in their yard or other places. And they'd literally live in these dwellings during the celebration to remember how God was with his people in the wilderness. So if you spend a lot of money on a camper, here's your excuse. When you go out camping, you can just say you're celebrating the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, it also reminded uh, the people that the Lord dwelled among his people in the tabernacle. The tabernacle stood in the center of the camp of Israel as a reminder of that presence. Now, if you recall, God's presence dwelled right at the tabernacle, a fire, a, a, a cloud during the day and a fire at night. The people could always look towards that tabernacle and see God's presence. And us today, we can have a reminder. God's word says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's from John 1.14. So just 
as the Lord was with his people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. So too is our Savior with us as we seek shelter from our cares and our troubles. What can we see from this chapter is that God's people needed a holistic transformation of their hearts if they were ever going to love and obey their God. So just to, to go back on what I initially said at the beginning, it's not about the walls, even though that was Nehemiah's vision for coming back to Israel, was rebuilding the walls, setting up that place of security and safety for God's people. So let's go back to that. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. The walls had been finished, the, door, the doors, the gates had been set in place, the work is complete, and the people are returning to Jerusalem. The chapter ends, as I said earlier, with the people settling in their own towns. So life was good. The people are at peace. The vision that God has placed on Nehemiah was complete. But this was not where the story ends, as I said earlier. The security that the physical walls offered them was not enough. They could have relied on that instead of God. But God's people wanted more. And in chapter 8, we've seen him stirring in the hearts of the people. They wanted to get to know the God of the Bible and not just rely on that sense of security that they had. So as I mentioned earlier, the big idea for this morning is the walls have been rebuilt and God's people can put their trust in the false sense of security that those walls provided or they can trust in the God of the Bible. And what are we going to trust in? What are we going to place our trust in? So let's look at that. I spent some time thinking about areas in our modern lives that we can tend to trust in sometimes when we should really, in the end, be trusting in God. The first thing I thought of was our political views. Big surprise with what's happened in the last three or four months in the political scene but I couldn't help think of this. Matthew 22, 17 to 21, it says this. Jesus had, was, was trying to be tricked by the religious people of the time. They came to him and said this. Tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is on this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, you can look at the surface of this and just think, okay, I guess Jesus wants us to pay our taxes. But I don't think that's what he was talking about. When Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that were Caesar's, 
He was drawing a sharp distinction between two kingdoms. There is a political kingdom of this world, and Caesar held power over that. But there is another kingdom, not of this world, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And my question for us today is, what kingdom are you going to be a part of? What kingdom are you going to place your trust in? Secondly, we can also trust in the economy and our finances. Proverbs 11.28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Now, this is, a, this is one that actually hits home with me personally because um, the economy has been tough through COVID. Don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm, I'm a sales manager for a company that sells large capital equipment. So for the, probably the last six months of this past year, it was, it was hard. Um, companies were not spending a lot of money. Understandably so, but I personally took that stress on myself. And if I'm being honest, I struggled with trusting God during that time. As I was preparing for this, God kind of challenged me on that and was asking me, who are you really trusting? Are you trusting in your finances or are you trusting in the economy to turn around? How much of our security and our sense of peace is interconnected with our economic status? Or are we placing our trust in how the economy is doing when we should be trusting in God? You know, another area that we can actually trust in is modern technology. When we look around and we see the advancements that man has made uh, with technology, it's easy to place our trust in this as well. But if we've learned anything in the past year, it's that life is fragile and that man and our technology does not have the answer to every problem. We need to place our trust in God. And last, relationships. Now, this is a tricky one because relationships can be such an important part of our lives. God gives us relationships as a blessing and as a way of growing in him. But we can also depend too much on our relationships and not put our trust in God. Isaiah 2.22 says this, Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? So I want to I challenge you with this as well. Look at your relationships. Are you depending too much on the close relationships that you have on other people instead of 
actually putting your trust truly in God? This is a tough one, because like I said, God really puts people in our lives to help us in relationship. Obviously, relationship is really important. But it's worth taking a step back and looking at those relationships and kind of saying, hey, do I trust that person more than I actually trust God? Am I relying on that person's spiritual gifts or the blessings that they could be to me more than I'm actually depending on God himself? It's a question that's worth asking. So in conclusion, I want to say this to us this morning. Just as the people in the time of Nehemiah pressed into God's word, as the walls were completed and the gates were in place, they had every reason to feel secure in their natural surroundings. As their sense of security increased and things began to look better, they didn't allow themselves to trust in external circumstances. So as we potentially come out of this pandemic and things might actually begin to go back to the new normal, whatever that is. My question is, are we gonna put our trust in God or in the apparent security of our circumstances? I have a challenge for us personally and as a church this morning. If we don't intentionally press into God, our natural tendency will be to take a step back when things get better. We can even justify it by saying we need a time of rest, but we can't allow ourselves to not press into our relationship with God. So many times throughout the history of Israel, and we'll actually see this referenced next week, so many times God's people, when they had time of rest and blessing, would forget about God. They would fall away, and then hard things would happen, and they'd cry out to God, and God would save them. And then times would be good, and they'd forget about God. Rents and repeat. So now is the time, more than ever, that God is calling his people to be a light in the darkness. So many people right now have been feeling isolated for so long. So many people have lost those they've loved. It's been an unprecedented time of suffering for many people. They are hurting, they're lonely, their sense of security has been shaken they've begun to realize that life is fragile and that our security, that their security, in the political systems, in the economy, in technology, it's not gonna save them. Jesus is the only answer. He's the hope of the world. We have our, an opportunity as 
the people of God, as his representatives on the earth, to reach out to those around us, to share the good news that is the hope in him. Where his hands, where his feet, there's an opportunity before us. If you look historically at revivals from the past, they always happened in hard times. This is an opportunity. So I just want to encourage us to take some time to get to know the God of the Bible as they did in Nehemiah. Not just for head knowledge, but for heart knowledge. To know the God of the Bible, to truly know him, to know Jesus more, and in doing so, allow him to work in us and through us to those around us. So as we take a minute to pray, as, we, as I close, I just want you to take a little bit of time as I'm praying, a little bit of quiet. I want everybody just to close your eyes. And I want to ask this question. What are you placing your trust in this morning? Is it our relationships? Is it our money? Our political views? Science, technology? As we think about that now, if our trust isn't grounded in him and in his king kingdom, I want you to take some time and repent and ask God to realign our hearts so we can truly trust him for our lives. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, we love you so much. And sometimes it's so hard when we get lost in the midst of our situation. Even in good times, Lord, if we're truly honest, we can admit that sometimes we forget about you because we don't feel like we need you. Lord, help us to need you and see our need for you in hard times, in easy times, in every situation, Father. Lord, and through that, help us to press into you and your word. Lord, not just to have knowledge in our head. That's not what it's about, Lord. We need our hearts changed. We need to know you in our hearts. So I just ask, Lord, that you'd soften our hearts, that you send your Holy Spirit to touch our hearts. Help us to be open to you and to your word not just for ourselves, Lord, so that we can actually be a light, that we can carry your word, be your hands, be your feet to the world around us, Father. Lord, help us to truly be ambassadors for you. In Jesus' name, amen.